Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents part one of his teaching, The Value of Relationships. Hallelujah. This morning, we're going to start a new series called The Value of Relationships. It's not something I've taught on or preached before, with the exception of the marriage covenant, which we will be talking about later in the in this series. And just so you know, the angle I'll be taking is uh, how we as believers should approach and value the relationships that God brings into our lives. And here's the outline I plan on following as we progress through the series. Number one, we're going to talk about the heart of the Father today, and then we'll talk about family and friends, the value of marriage, and the family of faith. Amen. Now, let me begin by saying that everything in the universe that God created, I believe, revolves around and is rooted in relationships. The earth, the sky, the sea, the planets, the stars, the universe itself, they were all made for God's pleasure, but they were also made for us to enjoy. Amen? And we can see that if we go back to the beginning. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 in the New King James Version. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Okay, another pun is coming, just giving you a warning. Thank God we have authority and dominion over creeps, amen. Hallelujah. So the background of verse 26 is this. God had already finished creating the heavens and the earth and all the animals on the land, in the air, and in the sea. And here it says in verse 26, Then God said. It's almost as if the Lord paused and and began to think about what He had just created and ponder the fact that amongst all the variety and all the creativity that went into creating all these marvelous animals, there was not one of them that was quite like the Godhead. There was not one of them that was quite like us, they say in this verse. And and that opens up a can of worms that I will gladly open. Uh, This is a conference of the Trinity. This is God the Father, God the Word, and God the Holy Ghost, and they're discussing what they're going to do in creation. They finished creation, and then God said, let us, God the Father, God the Word, and God the Spirit, make man in our image after our likeness. So God said, look, we've made all these creatures, but none of them looks like us. So they decided, actually it was predetermined ahead of time, but they implemented the creation of man so they could create somebody that was like God. Amen. Amen. And indeed, we've talked about this many times. If you study this out, and I've used this in various other teachings, we find that mankind was created like God in at least two important ways. Amen. Number one, man was made a triune being, just like God, one whole person, but consisting of three parts. Let me stop there for a second. Whether you realize it or not, as hard as the Trinity is to understand, and I'm going to caveat everything I say here by saying this, I'm not sure this side of heaven will ever have a complete understanding of the Trinity. 
but we can have a rudimentary, a fundamental understanding by looking at ourselves in the mirror and realizing we are one person and yet we have three distinct parts, spirit, soul, and body. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved. God is interested in your whole being and he made you like him as a triune being. Amen? And we know that if we think about it. One of the reasons we know that we are more than one part is you can leave a part behind and come back for it later. An improved version, amen, when we get our new bodies. But there's proof right there that you are more than one part because you can leave a part behind. I feel myself being pulled into the spirit, soul, and body teaching, and I'm not going to allow that to happen. Amen. So number one, man was made a triune being, just like God, one whole person, but consisting of three parts. Number two, God made man to have dominion over the works of his hands. Amen. Glory to God. And we see that in the scriptures in the Psalms. Psalm 115 Verse 16, we just read it in Genesis, and now we're going to read it in Psalms. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. I feel like God said something like this, and this is my paraphrase. I'll take care of the stars and all the other planets, but you've got planet earth. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now, on a side note, This is a pretty amazing statement. If you observe the world at its present time, I think you'd agree that if we're in charge, we've made a pretty hot mess of the earth. Amen? Hallelujah. But it illustrates to me the fact that God was willing to entrust an entire planet to his created children says to me that before the fall, Adam and Eve must have had those two alone, those two alone must have had the intellect, the wisdom, the power, and the authority to effectively run the entire planet until their offspring came along and reinforcements showed up. Amen? That's mind-boggling. Of course, we know after the fall, like I said before, we made a hot mess of the earth. Thank you, Jesus, for restoring us to our place of authority in this earth so that we can bring the kingdom of God down and pray down the will of God here on the earth, okay, to restore order to a chaotic planet. Amen. Is everybody with me? But one of the reasons that God was willing to put mankind in charge of the whole planet was because he wanted to be in relationship with someone that was like him. He wanted to relate to someone who shared his personality, his power, and his authority. Do you see that? He wanted a creator to created relationship with someone who was as much like him as possible, yet still be a created being. Everybody see that? And we qualify. My point is this. God created man because he longed for relationship with someone who was like him in personality and in purpose. And when he created man, he knew that because he was made like God, he too would long for relationship with someone like him. Do you see where I'm going with this? It wasn't that he didn't enjoy his relationship with God, 
But as much as they were alike, there was one key difference. God is a spirit. And even though man has a spirit that God breathed into him, he has a flesh and blood body, which is different from his maker. And wouldn't you know, no sooner was man created than he began to long for relationship with someone more like himself, someone who was spirit, soul, and body as well, someone who had a flesh and blood body like he did. Amen? Because man was made like God, He was created with that same longing, that same yearning for relationship that burned within the heart of the Father God. And it manifested almost immediately. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God was the original Father, and He's all about relationships. He's all about family. Therefore, man is inclined to be the same way. So let's return to Genesis chapter 1 and pick up where we left off. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Essentially, I believe God was saying to Adam and Eve, I want you to fill the earth with families that will help you take dominion over this planet. Amen. In Genesis chapter 1, we get an overview of the creation of the world and of the creation of man. But chapter 2 and chapter 3 fill in some of the gaps and fill in some of the details. Amen? And so, especially concerning the creation of the woman who was made to complement and help the man that he had created. So let's go to Genesis chapter 2 and read 18 through 20. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Some translations say complementary to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. Amen. Glory to God. Verse 20. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable or complementary to him. Adam realized as God brought to him all of the land-dwelling animals, he realized that he couldn't find any of them that were like him. He also must have noticed that among all the species that he named, there were male and female versions of that species. So I like to believe that as he's looking at all these creatures that God brings to him, he's looking for someone that's the female counterpart of him. But he did not find her. Amen. 
That's my paraphrase, my understanding of this verse. He couldn't find anyone that was complimentary to him. Is everybody with me? Someone that he was compatible with, someone that he could form a relationship with. Amen. So in chapter 3, we pick up the story after God made the woman for the man from the man. And, and let me just get on my soapbox for a minute. Eve was created out of a rib in Adam's side, right? Not out of his foot so that Adam could dominate Eve, but out of his side so she could work alongside him in complementary fashion as equals, male and female. You see that? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. All right. Amen. Let's read from Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 through 13 in the New King James Version. This is talking about Adam and Eve. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Amen. I want you to notice that in this message or in this passage, we see that after God created man and woman, he took the initiative to form a relationship with them. Amen? He came down to spend time with them, uh, both of them, after she was created. He came down evidently in the cool of the day to spend time with them. And it must have been a regular habit because even after they had fallen to sin, they were still able to recognize the sound of God as he was walking through the garden to come and visit them. Amen? So it must have been a regular thing. God would come down to fellowship with his man and his woman, talk with them, hang out with them. You know, that word there says they heard the sound. Some translations say they heard the voice of God. Others say they heard the sound. I believe it was both. They heard him walking on the grass, and they heard him calling out, Adam, Eve, let's hang out. Let's spend some time together. Amen. So you see right off the bat, that God was intentional in pursuing a relationship with the ones that came from him, with the ones that he created. Amen. We can learn a lesson as mothers and fathers. When we have children, we need to be intentional about forming relationships with each of our children. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. God was passionate about his family. He was intentional about pursuing a relationship with the ones that he created, the ones that he brought into the world. If you bring children into this world, be intentional about pursuing a relationship of love with them. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right, let's pick it up at verse 9. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. I love the passing of the blame there. The man said, it's the woman's fault. The woman said, it's the devil's fault. Amen. It didn't fly with God. That's not what I want you to see here. 
Why does God ask Adam and Eve questions that he already knows the answer to? Where are you? Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from that tree? What have you done? Why is he asking questions that you know he knew the answer to? Well, the answer is simple. He's given them an opportunity to come clean, to repent, because his heart is not to condemn, but to restore. You should be the same way with your children. When they do something wrong, discipline them, yes, but discipline them in love and be quick to restore them to relationships so that they know that you love them and they don't get insecure about that love ever, ever, ever in your mother, father, child relationship. It's so important. And God sets the example here. I didn't come to condemn. I'm asking you questions because I want you to come clean because I'm getting ready to launch a plan that will redeem you from the trouble you got yourself into. Isn't that wonderful? Hallelujah. That's the heart of the Father. God's heart toward his family was not to condemn, but to restore. So he went immediately into restoration mode in order to rescue the world's first family. That's because if you could ever look into the deepest part of God's heart, you would find the heart of a father. The heart of a loving father. Now, if we keep reading from Genesis chapter 3, we find out that God had already planned for man's fall from grace. It didn't take him by surprise. He already had a plan that was hatched before the universe was created and he was ready to implement it. And immediately he put that plan into motion so he could rescue his family from destruction because he had the heart of a loving father. Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity. That means warfare. I will put warfare between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. You or he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Amen for that. Here we see that God had already looked ahead and seen the day that the word of God would become flesh through the offspring of the woman. And he declares that that offspring, that seed, notice it's capital S because it's talking about the seed that is Jesus Christ. That seed would come in the flesh and you would bruise his heel, he said to Satan, but he is going to crush your head. Amen. So right off the bat, he launches a plan that is 4,000 years in the making. Nevertheless, he gets it out into the atmosphere that help is on the way for mankind. Amen. Glory to God. Four thousand years later, that help manifested in the person of Jesus Christ, the righteous who defeated the devil and paid the price for the eternal redemption of all mankind. And this is what I want you to see in the context of relationship this morning. This awesome plan of redemption was launched by God because he had determined ahead of time that it was not going to let go of the family he created, the family he loved, not without a fight. Because 
He has the heart of a father. The entire plan of redemption was conceived in the mind and heart of God before time and space existed. You you guys know how I feel about that. Space and time. I love to talk about it. I can't get drawn in by the vortex, though. But it's true nevertheless. Hallelujah. Yes. The event horizon, for those of you non-nerds, is a radius around a black hole where once you get to that point, you're getting sucked in. There's no way out of it. That's what he's referring to. All right. This was all planned ahead of time so he could rescue his family, the family that he would one day create, and all the families that would come into the world through them. Amen. That includes over 7 billion people that are on the planet right now and all the multitudes that lived before us. He put that plan into motion for all of them. God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son. Amen. And thank God for that. And all because he had the heart of a father. A heart that was willing to go to extraordinary lengths to rescue his prized creation, his children. Amen? God was willing to go to war for his children. He was willing even to lay down his life for his children. Shouldn't we as earthly fathers and mothers have that same mindset? Amen? As a father of three daughters... I want you to know that there have been times when I had to engage in warfare on behalf of my daughters. And my wife was there fighting alongside with me. Praise God, most of the time it was spiritual warfare. But nevertheless, it was just as intense as actual warfare. And trust me, I know I've flown in two combat wars in two different combat aircraft, so I know what it's like to get shot at. I know what warfare is like. And spiritual warfare can be even more intense. Amen. Hallelujah. Why did I do that? Because I have the heart of a father. I love my daughters. No matter what mistakes they made, I was willing to help them out of their dilemma. To bring them back into restoration. Not to condemn them, but to help them out. And thank God, all three of them are flying right for the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Because I have the heart of a father, I understand God a little bit more than I did before I was a father. I love all my family, my wife, my girls, my sons-in-law, and my grandchildren. They're the treasure of my life. I would do anything for them. I would go to war for them. Yes, I would lay down my life for them. Because I have the heart of a father. Listen, it's not exclusive to fathers. Mothers have a protective and nurturing heart as well, but they'll also fight for their babies. I read a story years ago about a woman who was walking a nature trail somewhere in the Pacific Northwest, and she had her little boy with her, and a cougar came to attack the little boy, and she got in front of the boy and in between the cougar and her boy, and the boy lived. But tragically, she gave her life for her boy. 
Most mothers would do that in a heartbeat because it's in them. They have that nurturing, motherly, protective thing. Think about the mama bear. You better not get in between her and her whelps, her babies, or there's going to be trouble. Amen. So it's not just the father's heart that's willing to go to war for his children. There's plenty of mama bears out there that will go to war with them. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. While I'm at it, let me just say that just because I have a heart of the father doesn't mean that I, I don't have some nurturing, motherly parts of my personality. Think about Jesus right before he went for his passion, right, right before he, the last week of his life in Jerusalem, he was coming from uh, Bethany. You top the hill over Bethany and you see the whole, I've been there, you see the whole city of Jerusalem pan out before you. And the Bible says when he crested that hill there at Bethany and looked out over the city, he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, oh, how I have longed to be like a mother hen and sweep you under my protective care like a mother hen does her chicks. But you would not let me. Now, nobody can tell me that Jesus wasn't a man's man, but he still had that aspect of God's personality that had some motherly nurturing traits on the inside. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right, so as we wrap this session up, I want you to keep in mind that I've been preaching this from a perspective of the ideal family, a father, a mother, and children. That's God's ideal. That, that was his plan. But you don't have to be a father to follow the example of our Father God. If you're a single parent or even a grandparent or in some other non-traditional scenario where you got children under your care, you can ask the Lord to help you fill the role of father and mother for the children under your care. If you'll trust him, God will give you the grace to raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord as we read in Scripture. Having said all that, the statistics are clear and numerous studies have shown that the absence of a father or the presence of an ungodly father have the most devastating effect on the children in a family. So let me leave you with this. Fathers, set the example. Love your families. Love your wives. Love your children with the heart of the Father God. Be intentional about pursuing relationships with each of them, with your wife first and then your children. Protect, honor, fight for your families. Make it your life's priority to pass on a spiritual heritage to your children. This is so important to me. It is my greatest desire that the heritage of the spirit that came on me would pass through my children and my children's children from generation to generation to generation. It's so important. Make it your life's priority to pass on that spiritual legacy to your kids one that they will pass on to their children. And again, I say, thereby affecting generation after generation after generation for God the Father and for His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the tradition of the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, let it be said of your family tree that you left a spiritual legacy, a legacy of the heart of a father, for your children to emulate, and for others to follow.
Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed part one of Dr. Forrest's message, The Value of Relationships. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 9.45 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.